0: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Good morning, Epicos. <clears throat> My name is Frank. I am the Mayfair Road campus pastor. I'm also one of your teaching pastors. I'm grateful for you to be here today. If you have a Bible, open to the book of Revelation. And this is your first uh, like thought of the sermon. Uh, it's Revelation, not Revelations. All right, everyone wants to add an S to it. It's not in the Bible. It's don't add to the Bible. Revelation, all right? Uh, when I was in middle school, uh, there, were, there were two books in the Bible that I felt like I was too young to read. The first one was Songs of Solomon because it felt a little too HBO after dark. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little too adult for me. Um, and I thought I was too young to read it. And then the other book was Revelation. And here's what I knew about Revelation. that In my church, everyone loved this book called Left Behind. And there was these books, and there was these movies, and then, like, recently, there was this uh, recent adaptation of it with Nicolas Cage uh, of the Left Behind movie, right? It's very, very, very intense. I haven't seen it, so I can't, like, rate it or anything, but I did read one book when I was younger, and then I just kind of lost interest in that series, but I did play the Left Behind video game in college, where your job was to evangelize to a bunch of people in New York City before the Antichrist got them. It wasn't a very good game. Um... As I grew older, I read both of these books in their entirety. And I realized that Songs of Solomon is a beautiful book on marital love. And Revelation is not as scary as I thought it was. So when we, we get nervous when we read the book of Revelation. In particular, because this is a difficult book to read. Like this book has more like death and people struck down by disease than any other book of the Bible. There's tons of disasters and terrors and beasts, and animals, and weird figures, with all the numbers and symbols in this book, we just don't understand it. And then when we hear people talk, like with confidence about the book of Revelation, it kind of makes us feel insecure, like we're a bad Christian, because we don't understand a word they're saying, and it just gets us more confused, so we just uh, ignore it, right? We tend to uh, avoid things that make us feel ignorant, clueless, and inadequate, so we don't read Revelation. I want to read to you Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. I don't know if you know this, but this is the only book in the entire Bible that says that when you read it, you will be blessed. God knew that this book would be difficult to read and understand, but God really wants you to read Revelation because when you read it, he promises that you will be blessed by it if I'm honest, I don't think Satan wants you to read Revelation. Like, I don't think Satan wants you to read any book of the Bible, but I think he especially doesn't want you to read Revelation. Because uh, he knows that this book talks about his demise. Like, Satan gets whooped at the end, all right? Completely bodied. He loses. Jesus is victorious, and he doesn't want you to know about that. He wants you to be so confused and intimidated by this book that, 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 that he doesn't want you to know that Jesus wins at the end. And kind of like a basketball team, losing by 40 points in the fourth quarter, all Satan wants to do right now is just foul. He just wants you to be distracted and annoyed so that you are useless to God. And so he wants you to be intimidated by this book because if you don't read Revelation, then you won't read about the hope that is found in this book. So today my aim is twofold. One, I want us to get a better understanding of what this book is, how are we to read it so that you actually read it when you go home. And the second thing is, is I want you to find the hope that is found in this book, the hope that the original audience drew from this book, the hope that 2,000 years of Christianity has drawn from this book. I want you to walk away from this place today seeing the hope that's found in Revelation. So, so before we go anywhere, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of book, what kind of writing is Revelation? And, and the good news is that John tells us exactly what it is in the first five verses. Follow along, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So we can quickly see that Revelation is doing three things here. Revelation is a letter, it's a prophecy, and it's an apocalypse. A letter, a prophecy, and apocalypse. Now, I want to I break those down, show you how I found those things, and explain what those things are. The first thing is, Revelation is a letter. Revelation is a letter. Verse 4 tells us that the author of this letter is the Apostle John. It's the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Also, he was Jesus' best friend. And verse 4 also tells us that it was written to seven churches that are in Asia. So, so there are seven real historical churches that exist in what is today modern-day Turkey. I think I have a map of that for you to see. Verse 9 tells us that he, he wrote this letter from a small island called Patmos. You can barely see it um, off the coast of Turkey where, where these seven churches were. And, and, and this is kind of where these churches all existed in a small area, and he He is in Patmos because he was exiled there. He was arrested for proclaiming the gospel, and he's writing this letter from Patmos to these churches. And there's general consensus that this letter was written about 95 to 96 AD, the latter part of the first century. This is all important information because it helps us understand the context of this letter. We can now figure out what this letter means to you and I. So here's what you should know. After Jesus ascended into heaven, the church started growing and growing and growing. We've been reading through all the epistles, kind of seeing what has the church been going through, the challenges they faced, but also the kind of the, the beautiful miracles we've been seeing throughout church history in the first century. And then things got a bit difficult. In 64 AD, there was this big fire in Rome, and the Emperor Nero needed to blame somebody for it, so he decided to blame the Christians. And that's what really started kicking off the government persecuting and executing and murdering Christians. Christians were just being killed simply because of their faith. It was around this time where Peter was crucified upside down. It was also around this time where Paul was beheaded at the order of Nero. Historians tell us that one of the ways they would execute Christians is they They would get a pole, tie the person up there, dip them in oil, and light them on fire to be a torch for the roads. It was a gruesome time simply because of your faith in Jesus Christ. But then there was this other emperor after Nero named Emperor Domitian. And this is the emperor that was was in place around the time Revelation was written. And uh, he did something that was very unusual compared to the previous emperors. So, in that time, in that culture, emperor worship, the, to worship the emperor of Rome, wasn't uncommon, but typically that would happen after they died. Nero would die, they would erect a statue of him and say, You have to worship Nero. Now, that wasn't unusual. But Domitian wanted all the attention while he was still alive. So he built a temple, and he put statues of himself all over the Roman Empire, and he demanded that people refer to him as Lord and God. There was a national expectation that you would worship the emperor, but this was a problem for the Christians because the Christians would not call anybody Lord except Jesus Christ. And so this was the daily reality for Christians in the Roman Empire. To, to renounce Jesus Christ and proclaim that the emperor is Lord so they can live to see another day. Or they would stand bold and say Jesus is Lord and risk being executed. This was the reality that the recipients of this letter were were in, and this was the reality in which John was writing this letter. To be a Christian was to put your life on the line. So John is writing Revelation as a letter of hope to struggling Christians in churches where they're facing immense persecution, where they could die today simply because of their faith, and John is writing them to encourage them to hang on because Jesus will win. Jesus is victorious. This is what this letter is about. So to read Revelation, you must first remember that it is a letter to a specific group of people at a specific time in a specific place. And so a pastor put it this way. As we, in, the 20, in 2022, as we read Revelation, this is what we have to remind ourselves. It cannot mean to us what it didn't mean to them. I mean, you take that to the whole Bible. The Bible cannot mean to us what it didn't mean to the original audience. So especially Revelation, Revelation cannot mean to us what it didn't mean to them. So for the past 200 years or so in America, when we read Revelation, Christians have kind of sought through the newspaper to see, okay, what are these symbols and how do they line up with the things going around us? So you hear things like, oh, Vladimir Putin is the Antichrist. Or you've heard stuff like the Mark of the Beast is QR codes. Or you've heard stuff like June 6, 2006 was when the Antichrist was born because it comes out to 666. You've heard things like this. But think about this. Think, imagine, if you will, you lived in Ephesus around 96 AD. You lost your job because you're a Christian. You, um, your wife left you because of your faith. Your neighbor is lit on fire in the streets because of his belief. And you're heading to a local house church to hear about this new letter that the Apostle John just wrote to be encouraged in your faith. And you get to the church, and you hear this letter of comfort to persevere to the end is knowing that Christians in America 2,000 years from now are avoiding barcodes. You you see how that, like, wouldn't help them? Like, that wouldn't encourage—why would—them knowing that we're, like, juking out— QR codes is going to encourage them to to face death every day. That doesn't make sense. It cannot mean to us what it didn't mean to them. We must be careful to read Revelation that would encourage its original audience. Another way to put it is, this letter is written for us, but to the churches in Asia. You understand? It's written for us, but to the churches in Asia. The moment we begin to interpret things that wouldn't make sense to the original audience we are drifting away from the original intention of the book. Does that make sense? Revelation is a letter. The second thing is this revelation is prophecy. Verse 3 says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I wanted to find prophecy because I think... It, it, the way we interpret that word, we think it means like a crystal ball. Like we think all that John is doing in Revelation is talking about future events. He's predicting the future. But when we talk about prophecy as a genre of biblical literature, it has less to do with predicting the future and more to do with what God has authoritatively said to you and I. Uh, I, I think the word prophecy, biblical prophecy, has like twofold kind of ideas in it. The first one is forthtelling. Which means speaking for God, speaking on behalf of God. That's foretelling, and then there's foretelling. Foretelling is predicting future events, and Revelation has both of those in mind. Some of the visions in Revelation are clearly future events that John sees. We're going to get to that when we see the last like six chapters. All of that is like future events that haven't taken place yet, obviously, and he tells us what will happen, but. John is also very much calling us to just sit here and listen and behold what God is telling us and what he wants us to know. Go to uh, Revelation chapter four. I want to show you verse one here. It says, after this, this is John speaking, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven and the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. John is inviting us to walk in the door with him, to show us what Jesus is showing him, and for us to be in awe, and for us to be uh, feel emotions, and, and, and to see what God is trying to say to us through these visions that he's giving to John that John is showing us. We must be careful not to read Revelation like a book of sequential events, we have to read this book and ask ourselves, what is John looking at next? All throughout Revelation, it says that John turned and looked and saw this. They turned that way and saw that. So we have to see, what is John looking right now? What is he looking at? Revelation is kind of like an art gallery. We are to follow John and see each picture and allow it to cause us to have deep emotions about it. Not to see it as this is the next event and this is the next event. But each individual picture is something that God is trying to tell us. And we have to kind of feel it and see it and understand what it means. To challenge us to think deeply and be moved to find the courage to endure for tomorrow. This leads us to the last thing that Revelation is. And it's the apocalypse. Now, because of movies, I mean, there's... So many times where we hear the word apocalypse, our mind immediately goes to, oh, the end times, like the end of the world, like everything blowing up. And like, that's what we think the word apocalypse means. But that word apocalypse does not mean the end of the world. John 1, 1 says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that word revelation in Greek is the word apocalypsis. And apocalypsis, the word means to reveal, to uncover, or to discover something. That's important. The word apocalypse means simply to reveal, to uncover, or to discover something. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not the revelation of weird animals and multiple heads. Not the revelation of the end times, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. John is revealing to us more of who Jesus is. This is what revelation is about. It's about showing us more of Jesus. And so therefore, when you get to the the passages about the beast and the animals with multiple heads and, and, and the end time stuff, it makes more sense when it's there in serving of the fact that it's here to show us who Jesus is. Does it talk about the end times? Yes. Does it talk about weird animals and figures? Yes. But it's not about that. It's about showing us who Jesus is. What apocalyptic literature does is uses images and symbols and numbers and animals and odd creatures to represent people or institutions to bring us to, to give us emotions and feelings in the way we read it and understand it. This was once a popular way of of story writing. It just isn't the way we understand stuff anymore. It purposely uses symbolic language To grip your emotions and to get you to think deeply about what God is trying to tell you. So here's the interesting thing. With all the symbols, with all the numbers, one thing that Revelation really relies on is you understanding the Old Testament. It's huge. To to understand what is happening in Revelation, you kind of have to understand what's happening in the Old Testament. Revelation quotes or eludes the Old Testament more than any other book in the New Testament. Over 350 times, there are references to Old Testament passages. And the more you understand the Old Testament, the more it gives us clarity as to what the things are happening in Revelation. If you don't know your Old Testament, that's when you get some kooky understandings of what Revelation is about. Let me give you an example. Turn to Revelation chapter 13. So in Revelation chapter 13, there are these two beasts And and these beasts are sent by the dragon. The dragon is Satan. And the first beast is supposed to be this person that has, like, universal power over the entire world. Like, think of him as, like, the president of the whole world. That's who the first beast is. And then the second beast shows up. And what he's doing is he's trying to gather worshipers to worship the first beast. And his second beast is making it really difficult for Christians to, like, survive or even to, like, engage in society because they're demanding that everybody worship the first beast and Christians refuse to do it. Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell Unless he has the mark, that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So, this is the the passage where we get the idea of the mark of the beast. And so, as people have read Revelation throughout time, there are sometimes people want to try to figure out so, what is the mark of the beast? And I understand the intention behind it because people say, I want to be faithful to God. And it seems like people who have the mark of the beast are people who are not faithful to God. And I don't want to get the mark of the beast by mistake. So, what is the mark of the beast? And so, like, for generations, we've heard different people say different things of the mark of the beast. Uh, there was a time where people thought when social security numbers were introduced to our country, people were like, social security numbers are the mark of the beast. Don't get a social security number. We've heard people say that barcodes are the mark of the beast. Like, this is why Audis doesn't have, they don't scan anything. They just type it in because it's the mark of the beast, right? This is why... Um, Uh, 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 microchips implanted under your skin are considered the mark of the beast. And people are saying, don't get near microchips. And then in the past couple years, we've had people say and claim that the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast. Let me say this as graciously as I can. None of that is it. It ain't. It It can't be it like it doesn't make sense because if tomorrow, let's just say this if tomorrow the government said, Frank, you have to get a microchip in your forehead and you or you can't buy anything at Trader Joe's, I'd be like, ha, Gotcha, I read the book, you ain't gonna get me this time, right? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, like do we think Satan is that obvious that he would be like, Oh no, I guess you read Revelation, gotta got try harder next time? No, it, it doesn't make sense. But also, when you read the Old Testament, you have a fuller picture of what John is alluding to here in this vision. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you don't have to turn it. I'll have it on the screen. There's a verse in 4 through 9, a very popular verse that many Jewish people would have memorized. And it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This this. Passage of scripture is called the Great Shema. Faithful Jews would take the literal law, the Old Testament law, and bind them to their forehead put them on their hand, they would put them on their doorposts, they would put it everywhere. They, they do this so they would be so saturated with God's word, they would go deep into their hearts, they would show up in their actions. This is why they were so, this is why Jews would memorize the, 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 the entire first five books of the Old Testament, because they wanted God's law so ingrained into their life that what comes out of them is just God's word. So what the mark of the beast is, is the anti-shema. It's the parody of the Shema. It's it's Satan taking uh, the beautiful words of Moses and giving you a bootleg version of the Shema. If the great Shema is about putting your mind to the word of God, the mark of the beast is about putting your mind to worldliness. Let me define worldliness for you. Worldliness is any culture that tries to make sin seem normal and holiness seem bad. Worldliness is any culture that tries to make sin seem normal and holiness seem bad. So the mark of the beast is worldliness so ingrained into your mind that it shows up into your actions. And the only way for you to function in this society is for you to live in a way of worldliness. In a society that hates God, the only way to have any kind of social collateral is to live in a way of worldliness. So I don't want to waste my time talking about microchips or the vaccine when there's people with the mark of the beast right now. Like there's worldliness all over our culture and they're entering into our churches. I don't want to come up with weird theories because I don't like a microchip when there's people who have the literal mark of the beast so entrenched with worldliness that they don't realize that they're following the prince and the power of the air, which is Satan. So the apocalyptic literature uses symbols numbers, and other imagery to show us things that strike our emotions and our heart in a different way. I need to explain that the book of Revelation is a letter, a prophecy, an apocalypse, because when you understand what Revelation is, it's not so scary anymore. It's not so confusing or intimidating. Then you can begin to read it in a way that I promise you will change your life. We don't have time to go verse by verse in Revelation. Next week, uh, we're going to read about the great white throne judgment and the final battle between Satan and Jesus. And the week after that, we're going to get into the last two chapters of this book where we get the name of our series, the new city. And we get to talk about the new heavens and the new earth. But understand this. No matter what your church background is, no matter what books you've read, no matter what things you've heard, there are faithful godly Christians who have interpreted Revelation and, and, and have some dis- differences in the finer things of Revelation. Some, some things about timing, some things about how to interpret some of the things. And, and I, want to, I want you to understand is that there's a, a spectrum of orthodoxy, a spectrum of what is sound, what is true within Christianity that you can differ on when it comes to some of these interpretations. If you go to the hub.epicus.org, I have a giant blog post with all the different interpretations that you can hear about and kind of how some people end in different places and things like that. But here is what I want you to understand. Here's what's important. Last month, um, me, Pastor Tommy, and Pastor Jacob went to go see Thor Love and Thunder opening night. And it's starting to become a tradition that we see these Marvel movies opening night. That's just the thing we've been, we've been doing the past couple movies. And over the, to- over the years, we've, we've realized that we've shared who our favorite Marvel characters are. And so mine is Spider-Man, because he's the best. Um, Pastor Tommy is Doctor Strange. And Jacob's is Obi-Wan Kenobi, for some reason. If the person next to you doesn't get that joke, don't explain it to them. Um, Though we have different opinions on our favorite characters and movies, when we get together, we know what's gonna happen. We're gonna eat some popcorn, we're gonna laugh, we're gonna get emotional and get teary-eyed, but we're gonna enjoy a very good movie, no matter what movie it is. So regardless of your end times theology, if you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ, that Christ came into this world lived a sinless life, he died on the cross for our sins, he's resurrected, overcoming sin and death, and if you put your faith in him, by grace alone through faith alone, you will be saved. If you are a true Christian, the common denominator is that the book of Revelation is there for you to have hope, a hope that cannot be taken from you in this world. No one can take this hope that Christ has purchased for you No one can rob you from what God has sealed for you in heaven. And that should give us courage. That's what Revelation is about. Whether you believe you're going to get beamed up out of here in the rapture before all the things get bad. Or you believe that you're going to suffer some of the darkest years this world has ever seen. The common denominator is that at the end, we will be with Jesus in victory. Enjoying God forever and ever in the new city. On that all Christians must agree on. And so I want, to, I want to spend the rest of our time discussing that hope that Revelation talks about because I think some of us are struggling with hope. Revelation is a book about finding the strength to endure and the courage to overcome until Jesus returns. And God knows that in this world of sin, it is difficult. Revelation 14.4 tells us that to, we are to follow the lamb wherever he goes. And as you read Revelation, a lot of the places the Lamb goes are places that lead to hardships and difficulties and suffering. Revelation thirteen nine and ten says, "If anyone has ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain by the, with the sword, with the sword must he be slain." Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. You and I, we live in a Genesis 3 world. And what I mean by that is in Genesis 3, that's when sin came into the world. And because of that, everyone has sinned and this entire world is affected and corrupted and fallen because of sin. Things are not the way they should be or intended by God. We live in a world that hates God, and therefore, if you live faithful to God, there will be people who will be uncomfortable with the way you live your life, and Jesus is calling you to endure, to persevere. But even more than that, because of sin, our bodies break down. Our bodies betray us. Our mental health betrays us. Cancer, disease, and death has, has ravaged this world, and it's all here because of sin. It, does, it shouldn't be this way, but this is the world we live in. Some of you feel the pain of loneliness every day because you've been single for for years and you long for a spouse and the temptation to go on these dating apps to give some dude not worth your time a chance because that feels like the only option in this life. Some of you are dealing with the pain of infertility. You are afraid of hope because the last time you had hope, the letdown was too much for you to handle. Some of you feel like your marriage is hopeless And you're stuck with a roommate you don't want anymore. And some of you were hurt by people you were told you could trust. And that is incredibly unfair. What Revelation is doing is giving us a vision of the heavenly realm that we do not usually have access to. Jesus is tearing open our reality. And we're getting to see what God sees. And we get to understand that not everything is as it seems. And so Jesus is the Lamb of God who suffers for our sins. Jesus' sacrifice is what brings victory over this evil age and the corruption in this world. But also, one of the reasons why Jesus entered into our humanity, as Hebrews says, is that he's there to sympathize with you and me. So Jesus suffered for us, and Jesus suffers with us. So every ounce of pain and hurt that you have gone through is something that Jesus understands. God is not indifferent about your hardships here on earth. He is aware of it. He's weeping with those who weep. Jesus is the Lamb of God who suffered for our sins and suffers with us in the midst of our difficulties. But Jesus is also the mighty Lion of Judah. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And Revelation shows us that whatever pain and corruption that we experience on this side of eternity is not forever. It's not forever. Jesus is victorious at the end. And the pain and suffering will be over. God himself says in this book that he will wipe away every tear from your eye. Every day of grief and pain that you have spent on this side of eternity will one day be nothing more than a a distant memory that will be hard to remember. So lean in and listen to me. Don't give up. Stay in the fight. Revelation is about courage. It's about remaining faithful in the midst of hardships and, and struggles and boldly declaring that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over my life. Jesus is Lord over my family, over my marriage, over my relationships, over my health, over my insecurities. Jesus is Lord. And for 2,000 years, Revelation has been a source for Christians to know that this world is not forever. And we are to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. So let's live in that tradition that God is faithful, his plans are in motion because he is seated on the throne and we can have courage in the midst of our struggling, in the midst of our hardship, one day, every tear will go away, every ounce of pain will be gone and all the, 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 the issues of this world, all the hardships of this world will be nothing more but a distant memory. Let me read to you Revelation chapter five as we close a, a proclamation of how good Jesus is. It says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Jesus wins. This world is not forever. Don't give up. Christ is with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good to us in spite of the fact that we are are living in a world that uh, doesn't think too fondly of you. It's it's difficult to to remain faithful because of our own flesh, because of our society, But, but, but Lord, you're good and faithful to us. Lord, we do pray right now for our brothers and sisters overseas who are facing some of the same type of persecution that we are, we're, we're reading here in, in Revelation. Lord, I pray that you, you comfort them, you encourage them, you embolden them like, you, like, like, like your word here in Revelation speaks of, and you help them to endure to the end, to remain faithful. I pray Lord, that we see that courage of our brothers and sisters who's living in that reality right now overseas and when we bring that courage here in our lives, whether it's the hardships of our, of our peers, of people around us who look down on us because of our faith, because of our convictions or because of our morals or because of the reality of living in this world of sin that things are not the way they should be and it's just so difficult to be here, Lord. I pray Lord, that we have that courage that you, you write about in this book. This this world is not forever. You're creating a new one, a perfect one, one that will not be touched by the corruption and evil of sin, but one where you will reign on the throne forever and ever, and we get to enjoy you forever. I pray for for any of us who, who haven't entered into that relationship with you, that we can make the decision today. But for us who are already believers, let us have that courage and that confidence that you're winning and you will win. And your glory will be shown all over this earth. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Amen.